Hey, what's up? Hello, and welcome to the show. This is the PB and Jargon podcast, part of PDB Media. I'm Parker Brown, and welcome to episode three. Today, we're going to take a look into some team names, a little bit of a deep dive into the Major League Baseball scheduling fiasco and basically the tenure of Rob Manfred, some movies, some music, I mean, you know, the works. So stick around, we're going to get to some fun stuff right after this. All right, let's get into some sports ball, and today we will be talking about the ongoing news story of the Washington NFL franchise. So, originally I had planned to talk about this, and now news has broke just recently that is very important to this ongoing story. So, without further ado, let's get right into it. Uh, It's really not a surprise that the Washington NFL franchise's team name is under scrutiny, especially of late with the political climate that we have in 2020. But this has been building up over time. So there's a huge push for the name of the team to be changed. And I'll get to the most recent update in that it is a officially going to be changed. But this has been a long time coming. There was talk from the owner, Dan Snyder. A lot of people don't like him. Dan Snyder said that he would never change it. And then, a couple weeks ago, word got out that FedEx, the company that they sponsor the naming rights to the NFL franchise's stadium, they said that they would no longer support them if they still had the name. And I think there was a few other sponsors that got involved too. I know, or I do know for sure one sponsor, Nike, obviously they manufacture the gear, the jerseys, and all the merchandising. They removed all of the merchandise from their store. And there was probably a few other sponsors too that got involved and said, we are not going to support you if you still have this name. And that got Dan Snyder thinking. And as sad as it is, his reason for changing the team name has nothing to do with the moral idea of changing a racist team name. And it has everything to do with money talks. That's really it. Money talks. He got backed into a corner and pretty much forced to do it. But this is reason to celebrate, I guess, in this case, that we are seeing a team name changed. We're seeing change. And it was a very controversial thing, this situation. A lot of people... I've heard a lot of people who are Native Americans say, I have no problem with the name. And then another select group of Native American people said that it was offensive. 
And I mean, over the last, say, five years, people hesitate to even say the team name. I, I'm sure you already noticed I haven't even said the team name yet, and I probably won't. Uh, a lot of people will just call them the Washington football team or just Washington. I heard a lot of a lot of local radio stations call them the Washington R words, which I thought was pretty funny. But it's just the name itself is uncomfortable to say whether it's offensive or not. I mean it when you think about what determines a person's race, if you're trying to figure out whether it's racist, if you think about what determines race, skin color is a huge proponent, obviously. I feel like I'm stating the obvious a lot of this segment so far. Like, it is a racist term. Now, whether it was meant to honor or not is not really in the question. There are ways where you can honor Native Americans with a team name, such as the Braves or the Chiefs. Like, those names I really don't think are going to change, and I really don't think they should. We'll get to Cleveland in a little bit. But Washington was due. The name is just uncomfortable, and it is racist. And I can understand the idea of the history behind the name, that they've had it for so long. I can understand the idea that it's not really offensive to some, but at what point do you start hearing the opinions of some rather than the ones that are offended by it? At what point does that not even matter anymore? If it's offensive to some, if it's close to a majority, why is it not changed? It really just didn't make any sense. And then, of course, it took this really odd year of 2020 for change to be brought about. And, of course, it, it took sponsors. It took money for Dan Snyder to change his mind. So they have released a statement on Monday that said that they are going to go forward in changing the name. And I thought it was funny when they first released a statement a week ago or so where they said they were going to evaluate. This was after the sponsors got involved where they said they were going to evaluate the team name. I thought that was hilarious because that pretty much was a giveaway that they were going to change it. And why would you even put that statement out? With that many times, I feel like they intentionally used the name as much as they could in that statement. I mean, heck, if you really are that stubborn about a team name, use it as much as you want before it's gone, because it's going to be gone. They knew it at that point, is kind of my theory behind that. So Washington is changing their name. Official but it'll take a while for their team name to be brought up because they still have to decide on one. They still have to come up with a logo and they still have to produce merchandising jerseys. Like this is going to be a long process. Like we are 
well, pending a lot of the COVID-19 stuff, we are a month away from camp really ramping up for the season. Like, this is really, this is going to be crazy. I don't know if they can get all of this out in time for the season. I mean, if they have to, I'm sure they'll figure something out. But especially when it comes to figuring out what the team name is going to be, that's going to be interesting. There's been a lot of names thrown out there, and some of them stick with the Native American, uh, I guess, uh, it really sounds bad to call it a mascot, but to keep the Native American heritage in the Washington football team, just changing the name. I've seen red tails as in like war, war planes honoring, I believe, oh, I might get some flack for this if I'm wrong, but uh, I believe the red tails is honoring uh, some World War II fighter jets. But if we're sticking with the Native American heritage in the team name, I've heard warriors come up and I've heard renegades, but honestly, I like, I like warriors. I, I mean, the alliteration and it's simple. And I've heard a lot of people say that they want the Washington football team to go back to the helmets that they wore a long time ago with just the spearhead. I mean, I would be all for that. The Warriors and then the Spearhead, like, that's that's a good look. It could look better than they did before. I mean, it's pretty easy to improve upon something that was racist. So, if it were me, and, I mean, from a PR standpoint, though, probably should stay away from the... Native American heritage names, but if it were me, I would go with the Warriors. <sighs> Again, though, from a PR standpoint, that would probably negate my choice. So then, who knows what the team name is going to be. <sighs> it, it's really up in the air. They could go with something completely different. I mean, just change the color scheme entirely, too. While you're at it, you kind of give yourself a clean slate and hope that people forget that this fiasco even happened. So that's kind of my thoughts on that and some of the information that I feel is important. And obviously this story is ongoing as they need to develop a lot. So as soon as they come out with a new name, logo, I'll definitely be talking about that on the podcast. But I kind of want to transition to a team that's getting a little bit less attention. I mean, obviously, Major League Baseball is not as popular as the NFL in America. So this might have been a smaller headline, but Cleveland, in the wake of this whole Washington football team thing, Cleveland is also trying to change, or not trying to change their name. They are looking into different options and evaluating. In this case, they weren't pressured by anybody to do this. 
So I really think they actually are evaluating and not just saying, okay, we're paying attention. Hold on. Like, like Washington was, I feel like this one is genuine. And I feel like in this case, like nobody was calling for them to change their name. Honestly, I feel like the Cleveland Indians is a stupid name in general, because I mean, we all know that the Indians is based off of, well, Columbus thought that he landed in India. So natives were actually called Indians for a long time. And it that's just stupid that it ended up a team name and they've had this team name for a long time so i mean it just never got to being changed and honestly it doesn't need to be changed they already changed the most important thing that needed to be changed and that would be their uh logo the chief wahoo symbol like that like i mean the huge toothy grinned native with a feather head like that was just bad and i mean they weren't the only ones at fault though because the atlanta braves used to have a really really bad racist native image honestly kind of similar to chief wahoo except it looked more real because chief wahoo is just cartoony not even cartoony. He is a cartoon. Um, but the Indians, they didn't really have to change at all. But they saw what has been happening and they kind of realized, hey, this name, it does it really fit us? Not really. Well, can we go about changing this? And, you know, some should say that the name well, honestly, I agree with this. If they were going to change and swap out Chief Wahoo and now they just have the bland Cleveland logo that's just a C, I mean, they could have changed the name then when they ditched Chief Wahoo. They could have changed the name then, but I feel like they're kind of scrambling a bit. If they're going to change their name now, there's a lot of a lot more interesting name options. And honestly, I'm really leaning, I'm really rooting for one team name in particular. If Cleveland decides to change their team name from the Indians, I really am rooting for one name in particular to get the nod. So there are a few of them that I'll list before I get to the one that I really want them to change it to. Uh, they There's been talk about changing the name to another name of Native American heritage, uh, like a name of a specific tribe in the area. There was, oh, let's see. Oh, I wrote it in my notes, I think. There was one team name that was a name of a former player. Actually, there was two team names of former player names, which I feel like that, I mean, it worked for their other, one of their other franchises in Cleveland, as in the Browns, which granted that was a coach, not a player, but having a person's name instead of, instead of a team mascot, I feel like that's just cheap. I really don't 
like that. It just doesn't fit. It really doesn't fit at all. And there was <laughs> some talk about uh, their name being changed to something that resembles uh, their lake that's on Cleveland, so Erie. Uh, let's see if I can find in my notes here. The Naps was a former name. So they used to be called the Naps, and that's named after a player that used to play for, uh, or bleh, a player that used to play in Cleveland. He had the name of the team named after him. So there's that. And you know what? I'm just going to skip ahead. The other names, they don't matter. They don't matter at all. Because the name that I want the Cleveland baseball franchise to be named is the Cleveland Spiders. It's a former name that the team had before they were the Indians long time ago. And honestly, this is partially because I think it would be funny. Because the Cleveland Spiders were in every essence in every essence of the word failure the cleveland spiders were a failure they were purchased by somebody that was an owner of another major league franchise in st louis and basically any of the good cleveland spiders players were basically funneled or traded all any talent was funneled into st louis and the spiders had one of the most historically awful seasons that I don't think anybody, I don't think there's any Major League Baseball team that will ever reach the levels of how awful the Cleveland Spiders were. I feel like it, this is going to sound totally mean, but I feel like it resembles a lot of what Cleveland is. It It just does. And I feel like, it could be a chance for them to, you know, have new life to the name because they never really had a chance when they were the Spiders. Plus, when you think about the team name Spiders, just in a national sense, is there really any other team name or any other sports team in North America named the Spiders other than the University of Richmond? Is that correct? I, re I think it's just Richmond. There's nobody else named the Spiders. It's unique to them. They have some history. And it's a chance for them to give the name new life. And win with the name finally. That's just my vote. I have no vote. But that's my vote. I hope they go with the Spiders. And while we're in baseball, I figured I would take a step back. And hopefully I don't talk about this for too long, but I feel like I might. Uh, I wanted to take a step back because Major League Baseball is ramping up for the start of the season, which happens in a week. That's just crazy to me. But we're going to take a look at not just the talks between the owners, the players, and the commissioner, but I also kind of want to kind of want to look at 
just the commissioner's tenure in general. Um, Rob Manfred is an interesting guy, and he means well. And I, I want to just state before I get into this, I do not hate Rob Manfred. He means well, but everything that he seems to do drives me crazy. At one point, he panders to the players, and at one point, he panders to the owners, and it just seems like he has no spine. And I might be way more passionate about this than most people. That's fine. I don't care. I'm a huge baseball fan, and I'm seeing the game that I grew up loving, well, one of the games that I grew up loving, being just tainted. The entire tenure of Rob Manfred has been tainted by a lot of stuff, and this year has been quite possibly the worst. I don't even know how this guy still has a job. Sad to say. Like, this started, his tenure started fine. Like, things were actually looking up when he got the job of being the commissioner of Major League Baseball, things were looking up. He didn't really have anything wrong. Like, I mean, the best compliment you could give him from the early years of his tenure as commissioner, the best compliment you can give him is that there was nothing to complain about. He wasn't as noticeable as the former commissioner, which is kind of like the same thing as an umpire. Like, you only notice the umpire if the umpire is extremely awful. And that means Manfred was doing his job pretty well. And things kind of went south a few years later. A few years down the road in his tenure. And there's a lot of things. There's three main things that I have kind of picked out. Uh, disciplinary issues, uh, PR standpoint issues, and let's just say negotiation issues. Those are kind of the main things that have occurred, and those are huge. Like, this is how you hold up your league. That's kind of the backbone of the league like how you promote it. Let's see, how has Rob Manfred promoted the sport of baseball? He's trying to uh he's trying to advertise for a younger audience. I mean, the game of baseball is an old one and the fans of baseball is aging. There is a new age that Major League Baseball is not adapted to. I feel like a lot of people don't watch baseball because it's just not exciting to them. And that's okay. But, I mean, not entirely. Like, there does need to be something done about that. You do need to do some advertising and some PR. And that's what Rob Manfred set out to do with his campaign of let the kids play and stuff like that. But everything about those ads, I dislike. Everything about it. it. And then you have 
his rule changes to also try to shorten the game, none of them work. None of them are effective in reality. Like, it's a good idea in theory, but in reality, none of them actually work. Everything seems gimmicky. That is, like, the biggest word that I... Or not biggest word. That's the most... That's probably the best word that I can use to describe some of the changes that he's made in the rules of baseball. Is It's just gimmicky. I don't... It doesn't seem like baseball anymore. Some some of the time. It just doesn't seem like baseball anymore. There's a point where you can go too far. And that might sound like uh, saying... That might sound like, okay, Boomer, like you just don't want to see change in baseball. No, I want to see change. Just the types of change that he wants, it, it doesn't make the game more exciting. And it just, it's gimmicky. It doesn't actually look like baseball anymore. There are better ways. And he doesn't listen to the people that he should listen to, actual baseball players. He's pandering to an audience that isn't his audience. It's one thing to try to get more people to watch baseball, but if at the same time you're pushing other people away, you're going to end up with the same amount of viewers. And then baseball will continue to die out, and that is what Rob Manfred has done thus far from a PR standpoint. But it gets worse because then you go to the aspect of social media and Major League Baseball is always making sure that people don't use any of their like footage, like that you can't record anything within a Major League stadium without them flagging it and saying, no, you can't do that. Like just Major League Baseball is so closed off and then social media and their marketing, it just... Nothing works. If you want people to, if you want good content created, and if you want people like who are always on social media, people are always on YouTube, people are always like, how do you not see that restricting access and restricting use of your technology is actually hurting you. There's no, I mean, there's lately been some really good material, really good Major League Baseball type content on YouTube lately, but that hasn't been anything like it was this past year before because Major League Baseball has so many restrictions on that. How do you grow a brand if you don't allow people to film in your own stadiums and stuff like that? To an extent, I understand it, but that's just shooting themselves in the foot. That's just Major League Baseball shooting themselves in the foot again. And then you go to negotiations and... This summer has been absolutely a mess. Again, like I said before, Rob Manfred just seems like he has no spine. 
couple months before, he totally botched handling the sign-stealing scandal, and evidently he knew some of this information before it was leaked out by a former pitcher of the Astros, Mike Fires, and it blew up in the middle of the playoffs. But I don't, I don't understand how he can basically give the players a slap on the wrist and say, I'm here for the players, it's fine, while he's totally excusing them for cheating. And as a Dodger fan, I just want to clarify, I'm not one of those people that says, oh, well, the Dodgers should have a ring now. No, like the Astros shouldn't have one, but or the Dodgers didn't win the World Series by any means. But if the Dodgers don't have one, then certainly the Astros shouldn't. If they cheated, they cheated. There's no reward for that. There shouldn't be no reward for that. So I'm not among the people that says the Dodgers should have a World Series championship because they cheated. Because that technically wasn't earned, I think. There should be no champion for that year. And I've heard all the same dumb arguments about, oh, well, sign stealing, it's always been a part of the game. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between what happened and what is legal. It sounds weird to say that you can do something that's cheating, but do it legally. But there are ways of doing it. When you bring in technology, that's just above and beyond. And you can see an absolute increase in Astros offensive production based off of using the trash can bangs and stuff like that. Anyway, back to the Rob Manfred stuff. He totally botched the Astros sign stealing scandal. And then you have these negotiations where he has absolutely no spine towards the owners this time, where the owners are worried about losing money. The players sign contracts so that they would be earning money to play baseball. And in the negotiations, the owners didn't want to give them their money and didn't want them to play baseball. Like, that's just wrong. That's just entirely wrong. And I could go on for longer, but I feel like I should move on. Rob Manfred, he's not a bad guy, and he means well, but... <sighs> Come on, man, clean it up. We're going to move on so I don't get too mad. Okay, so moving on to Cinema Talk, today I wanted to talk about a film that is not really well known today, but it's a groundbreaking film, especially for its time period and for the things that it introduced for film. So I definitely want to encourage anybody out there listening, if they get the chance, please go and watch Citizen Kane. So Citizen Kane is a movie that was made in 1941, and 1941, obviously this is a black and white movie, uh, if you're not into that, it's okay, y you can look through that. There might be some versions where they have changed the black and white and tried to colorize it, I don't know exactly if that's out there, that's not any of the versions that I've watched. So Citizen Kane, not only is it groundbreaking in techniques used, but it's also just very intricate in storytelling. 
This movie was produced, written, directed, and the leading role was played by the same guy, Orson Welles. And this was a relatively low-budget film for that time period, as well as it was a low-budget film, obviously, in today's money. It was probably really low. So I don't have an exact money figure, but this is a lower-budget movie. So Orson Welles made one of the greatest films ever on a low budget, and he did a lot of the work himself. So the story is about Charles Foster Kane. It starts off with him on his deathbed. Uh, Don't worry, this is not a spoiler, uh, because the rest of the movie has to do with what happens in the first minutes of the film. He's on his deathbed, and he's holding a snow globe, and that's very symbolic later on, the snow globe. He drops the snow globe on the ground as he, as he dies, and his last words are rosebud. And the rest of the movie is explaining his life, And the rest of the movie is filled with flashbacks and this investigator trying to find out what the true meaning of Rosebud is. And we don't find out that meaning until the very end of the movie, like the last scene. And I think what I love about it, I'm not going to tell you what Rosebud actually means. But what I love about it is that it's not so cut and dry what the meaning of Rosebud is. It is left for interpretation. Why was this guy thinking about that word as he passed away? And it also, it's an interesting perspective on a look of somebody who is wealthy his entire life and what made him who he was. So the storytelling that is in that movie is just fantastic. And when it comes to film techniques, first off, the cinematography, there's some of the craziest sets that I've seen. And this was in 1941 as well. There's just huge landscapes and giant, giant rooms, like looks like a warehouse is where they decided to film parts of this movie. So not only is the cinematography and the backgrounds and settings just so well put together, not only that, but some of the ways that it the movie was filmed, it might not register right away when you watch it, but it's it was revolutionary. You might not notice the differences between his film and any other films from that time period because, I mean, he was the first to do a lot of things. A lot of different camera angles that he used and using different dollies for moving moving shots and even to the point of having furniture that was able to come apart so that you could go with the dolly or the track and go through the table or whatever piece of furniture it was just to pan out for a shot or panning up from a stage. Like some of those techniques, I mean, it's commonplace now, 
But that was groundbreaking then. So Citizen Kane is a well put together film. And if you can get over some of the cheesiness, because I mean, there's the intro part is after the after he passes away, the intro part is kind of cheesy because of the way that it's written or the way that this reporter has kind of a story of his life written. It, it's kind of cheesy if you and it's very 1940s sounding like Radio Man 1940s. But if you can get over that, it's a wonderful film. And it was groundbreaking and I I highly recommend watching it because it provides an interesting perspective on life itself but also on the film industry and how it's gotten to where it is today. So that's all I got for Cinema Talk. We're going to move on here to a new segment. So today in Jukebox, I want to talk about something that's really important and special to me. And for me, that's just choir. So I'm going to be talking about different choirs that I've been a part of in the past, why choir has been so important for me, and some of the songs that I have been a part of and that I really remember to this day. So um, with my musical background, choir is really the reason why I have a passion for music to this day. Um, In elementary school, I didn't really enjoy going to music class. I had a teacher that, um, granted, we had a lot of troublemakers in my class. I mean, I say that, but really every class has troublemakers. It's just my specific class always had the same people. And so, yeah, we had one teacher that would, I mean, he meant well. He was a nice dude, but he would just get mad at the class most of the time. And that really shut me off. And I I just, and my learning style is more visual. So I never, is more visual, but at the same time, when it comes to music, I do almost everything by ear. So just the teaching style, he went fast. I fell behind and I never really picked up. I mean, I got by, but I never really picked up how to read music properly or like even basic things. I just kind of didn't pick it up. I just did whatever I needed to do to get by. And I just hated music. I thought that sports was going to be my life and that music was not really going to be anything to me. Um, (laughs) Little did I know that I would be doing choir in college and not athletics at all in college. Uh, I mean, not that sports is not important to me now, but right now music has been at a forefront because that is what I'm still doing to this day. And that's one of my many passions. So how did I go from just really hating music and not knowing how to read music, not knowing some of the basic elements of music theory? How did I go from that to where I am today? 
and I can attribute most of the reason why I love music to this day to my choir director in sixth grade. Well, sixth grade throughout high school. So I went to a charter school, and so basically that means that it's combined grade uh, levels. So it was a middle school and high school. So I was there from sixth sixth grade through twelfth grade, seven of the best years in my life. And going into sixth grade, there was only one requirement for sixth grade year only. You had to do one year of a music course. Um, and it kind of forced me to pick the lesser of the two in my mind at the time, evils, because I never thought that I would like it at all. Um, so I ended up choosing choir. And walking into middle school choir, it's a crazy atmosphere because, I mean, you get that many kids that many sixth grade kids in one location and you have two adults trying to manage all of them. I mean, Mrs. K, I don't know how the heck you did it with sixth graders and it only got worse somehow when it got to high schoolers, but we'll get to that eventually. Um, so I ended up loving it and it all starts with Mrs. K and the accompanist, which was Mrs. Newberger. And I don't know exact. I couldn't really pinpoint at that time what it was that made that class so special and actually made it fun. But looking back, I can I can tell. I mean, it's definitely part of it was the social interaction because I'm a social person and I loved being around those guys and those guys that stuck with choir beyond sixth grade and throughout high school. Those are some of my closest friends even to this day. I shouted out Donovan earlier in or in an earlier podcast episode. And I mean, so many of those people are so, so close to me because we spent a lot of time and we worked really hard on music pieces and when you work hard on something together as a group and when you spend that much time there's really a bond that's built so part of the reason why i loved it was because there was just a bond and there was just great people there and we had fun but the music part is what i thought i would i thought that would negate everything but I, the teacher and the accompanist, they believed in me. And even if things were difficult, I could, uh, I mean, I could improvise and I could just listen and I could play it by ear. But eventually I learned how to read the music a little bit better. Not great. To this day, I'm not great at it. But I learned how to work through things. And when you have somebody that believes in you and you have a collective group that's all going towards the same goal, that group feeling, that group setting and believing in myself 
was all that it took for me to just love music and work hard at it. Because what I had before was that classroom setting, individualized, it's all on me. And if I wasn't reached or if I didn't figure it out right away, then I just got frustrated. And so I want to give a huge thank you to Mrs. K, Mrs. Neuberger, and eventually we had a new accompanist in high school for, uh, was it two years or three years? But Mrs. Sumberg, you three are amazing, and I, I love you. I'm where I am today because of you. And it got even more special because when it came to my senior year, they needed another guy in the men's ensemble for second semester. So this is my last semester of high school. And we soon found out that this would also be the last semester that Mrs. K was teaching as well, but she would be retiring at the end of the year. And everything that led up to the final choir tour and everything that led up to the final uh, concert was just so incredibly special. From the songs that were chosen to just the memories that we made in that one semester, I feel like it was way more special than years before. Not that the years before were any less special, but being a part of the men's ensemble, I had, I don't know if some of the other guys in, we called it harmonics. I don't know if some of the other guys in harmonics really understood how much time I was taking out of other classes because it was really weird. I had to work around my entire schedule just to try and do it. I really contemplated for a long time whether it was worth it for me to leave from a different class, split time, because I held a leadership position in my broadcast journalism class. And any time that I could, I went over and I practiced. And I think I had the least amount of practice time, and most of the time it showed. But that experience and the fact that even though I still was not really that good at what I was being asked to do, I mean, I know I can sing relatively good, but even though I knew I wasn't really, and they knew that I wasn't really good at reading the music that well, and even though I knew I had some schedule conflict, and yeah, you can just say that they really needed me, so they didn't bother saying no, but the fact that they still took me in like I was one of their own, that was really special. And then the songs that we did were so challenging. And to do that with very little practice time, it pushed me, but I'm better for it. And so, yeah, ending my high school choir days, career, I guess, it feels weird to call it a career, but ending my high school days on that last concert and then we sung one song at graduation 
ending on that was really, really special. And to this day, I don't know exactly. I mean, it was only a year ago, but I don't know exactly why I wasn't planning on trying to join choir once I got to college. I think part of me was like, ah, let's end on a high note, pun not intended, but it's there. Because uh, I didn't know if I could move on to something different. Because all that I've known with choir was Mrs. K. And all that I've known with choir was the song, the types of songs that we had chosen throughout middle school and high school. And it was just so special. And I, I was so emotionally invested in my high school choir that I just felt like I had completed my journey in choir. But there was a part of me that really wanted to see if I could fit in the choir at the University of Sioux Falls. And so it took me a week on campus to really get acquainted with a lot of people. Um, and I hung out with some people that invited me over to choir. And uh, this is one of my favorite stories to tell because I, I like to tell people that I accidentally joined choir because I never intended on joining choir in college. And yet, a week into school, I visit, and of course, that's the day that they fit everybody for suits. Well, now they have my measurements. Now I feel obligated to join. <laughs> and, you know, just from the get-go, the bleh, if I can talk, just from the get-go, they were like any of the other choir people that I've known just really welcoming and accepting and they they treated me like I was already in the class and so I just felt right at home and I got to experience what the college choir was like and honestly it was pretty much the same it was just fun and I always tell people that choir students are some of the weirdest but some of the nicest people that you will ever meet. And I, I stand by that. That's consistent with everybody that I've met in choir. So they welcomed me in. And I. some of those people are, again, similar to my high school and middle school choir friends. They're some of my best friends to this day. After one year, I know. But there's just a bond that grows when you're with somebody for that long and obviously with college you're living with them too so some special special people at the university of sioux falls and at my old high school which is spectrum i guess i'll i guess i'll go out and say it um i don't know if i've said that before on this podcast but some really special times in choir and my favorite songs that we've ever done are some of the hardest songs that I've ever sung. And I think the reason kind of goes back to 
uh, the harder you work at it, the more proud you are of what what the work ended up being. And again, you just start to really get involved with the song. That song, I mean, you might hate it after hearing it so many times, but when you're hearing the same lyrics over and over, it has an impact on you. And when you get from point A to the finished product, it's very, very special. So some of my favorite songs would be our competition piece in the spring of 2019 for Harmonix was Prayer of the Children. It was a beautiful song that, I mean, it was about genocide. So the lyrics were just so powerful and we really got invested in that song and the story that it was around and yeah, the overall message and then the way that we blended everything together, just it turned out beautifully and we won a best of sight for a Minnesota State High School League contest with that piece. Another one, again, in the spring of 2019, uh, my the song that my class sang at our graduation was Omnia Soul. And uh, again, it's a beautiful song. Lyrically, it hit all the right things. Yeah, I almost cried at graduation when we sang that for the last time because that song is about um, crossing the threshold. You're, we finished the race. And it's it was just beautiful. And to end my high school days with that and then eventually getting the diploma and that it was just special. It was it really had an impact on me and uh kind of made me think more and more about reminiscing on all the good times that I had, those seven years of my life. And how it shaped me to be me, similar to all the things that you'll see if you watch Citizen Kane, how it shaped him to be who he was. Another one of my favorites, uh, Homeward Bound. I I mean, shout out to Tobin. When he had that solo, that was some really high notes that he was hitting. Homeward Bound, I, I, it's just beautiful. I feel like I'm going to repeat myself and say the same things about every song, but now you're starting to sense a pattern in why I love these songs. It's, I have a, I guess I have a taste in my interest in songs. Um, another one of my favorite songs, we sang multiple times in high school choir, but we also did sing it in my senior year. Salmo 150. Now, I think this one is partially because there's a little inside joke. Again, choir, you get a bunch of people together and for that that many hours of working on the same pieces, over time that is, and when we've already sung it once before, like we just have too much fun with it. And I don't know exactly how it originated. I think it was probably... I think it was Donovan and Connor Reed. Yeah, Donovan Item and Connor Reed. I think those two came up with this. But they invented kind of like a character 
and they used a weird voice. Hi, I'm Salmo from Guatemala. It wasn't even Guatemala. It was Guatemala. Like it was just so stupid that everybody loved it and it caught on. So that that was definitely one of my favorites. I mean, the song itself was incredibly hard too. And the pace of that song was just really, really fast. So I, I felt very proud of us for getting through that. And I guess the last one that I'm going to talk about today will be a song that I didn't even sing. It just had that big of an impact on me. It's a song titled, Even When He Is Silent. Uh, our chamber choir sang it, and so I wasn't a part of it. And getting to hear it, I feel like it was a it was an experience in itself. I can't imagine what that would have been like for those who are actually a part of it. But just hearing it was a special experience because the lyrics and again, the pace of it, it's just such a beautiful song. And as a Christian myself, that song has such a huge importance to the idea of faith itself because it uses kind of an analogy, I mean, of even if you can't see the sun, you know it's still there. And I guess it uses the same thing there to talk about God. And even when it seems like he's not there, and even when it seems like um, you're always fighting and you're always trying hard and nothing seems to go right, God is there and he listens. And so it's just such a powerful, powerful song. And I really wish I could have been a part of it, but to be listening to the song as many times as I did, it was just so special. And so now looking at my college choir, I kind of had that little nudge to try out for a higher choir than the one that I didn't have to audition for. And I, I'm now in the concert chorale at the University of Sioux Falls, as well as the other choir too, collegiate. And a lot of my experiences, even though I kind of doubted myself, and even though I kind of thought, oh, it's not going to be the same, I kind of felt that nudge from my high school and my middle school days to push through and to actually go forward with it. And that was, I mean, actually joining choir again was one of the best decisions of my life. And again, I really had to contemplate before I auditioned for Concert Chorale. And that was also another time where I thought back to all the good memories and it gave me that last push that I needed to try, to just try, because I know I'm going to enjoy it if I actually am in it. And if I'm not, then I'm still in another choir. And it's just such a special thing for me. So yeah, that's a little bit about my choir experiences. And if you're contemplating joining choir, 
whether it's high school, middle school, or at the college level, if there's a choir that you don't really have to audition for, go for it. If there's a choir you have to audition for, go for it. Because you will never have that type of experience anywhere else. Choir is just a completely unique space. And choir people are the best people that I've met in my life. Besides some of my sports teammates and coaches. But that's beside the point. Definitely join choir. Choir is so special. Okay, so we're going to move on to For the Culture. So For the Culture is the segment where I give my shout-outs for the week. And this week, I'm going to keep it simple. I, I'm going to shout-out, first off, I kind of already did, literally in the last sec- segment, bleh, if I can talk, wow. It's like I have a podcast or something. I'm going to shout out my good friends that I've made over the years in choir, including, but not limited to, because I'm just, there's too much going on in my head right now. So I'm just going to shout out some of my USF friends in choir. Seth Olson, you're one of my best buddies right now. Kale Engelkiss, I already shouted you out because I do radio with you. Uh, Ben Woolmouth, let's see. Evan, I feel bad because I don't know your last name off the top of my head. I know I know it. I just can't think of it right now. Uh, Caleb, oh man, we call you dad because you are pretty much choir dad. Uh, Caleb McConnell, you're... A fantastic human being. Thank you for dealing with us. Uh, I want to shout out the choir director, Dr. TK. He's awesome. Definitely one of my favorite people at USF. I also want to shout out Mo, Mo Plasto. If I pronounced your name wrong or your last name wrong, I apologize, but you're awesome. Also, Mo, I'm going to call you Mariah next time I see you whether you like it or not. Okay, I'm not. I I like to live, so never mind. Anyway, uh, and also, I was going to shout this person out anyway before I started talking about choir, but Apollonia Davalos, she, I mean, you're one of my favorite people on the planet, just so welcoming, so loving. Uh, Apollonia, you are Wonderful. It's awesome having you as the uh, collegiate choir chaplain. And you've always been so supportive of everybody. And especially when it comes to me, I'm very grateful for that and your support of this podcast as well. So, Apollonia, shouts out to you. You rock. Uh, let's see. Now, let's go to the high school. Mrs. K, Mrs. Newberger, Mrs. Sumberg, you three are fantastic, and you really helped me to grow to be the person that I am today. Donovan Item, Connor Reed, Peter Larson, we also call him dad. That seems to be a trend here, calling people inquired dad. That's just an odd fact. Uh, I also want to shout out Jordan Reese. I know I probably butchered that last name. I I don't know why it just doesn't feel right to say that. I don't know. 
Oh man, how many more do I have to shout out? Anna McLone, so incredibly talented. I'm very, very happy to, or that I know you. Uh, let's see. Oh my goodness. So many people to think about. So many names that come up. I think I should just stop there because then I'm going to talk forever. Uh, which I have a podcast and it's my podcast. So I can do whatever I want with it, but I probably shouldn't talk forever because then nobody's going to listen. <sighs> okay. Lastly, I want to shout out today. I have multiple friends that are going into the military in multiple different branches, and I know that there are some of them that already left, and I know that there are some of them that I probably won't see before they leave. So I wanted to give you guys a big shout out, Edwin, um, Daniel, let's see, Michael, you guys are really you a big inspiration to me. Um, thank you for everything that, like, thank you for your friendship, but also uh, wish you be the best of luck and thank you for what you're doing. Um, I have a huge respect for you and what you're doing. So, and if there are any others that I, for some reason, missed or can't think of right now because my mind is all over the place, uh, I want to thank you as well for what you're doing and uh, wanted to give you a shout out. So Edwin, Daniel, Michael, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Shouts out to you. All right, so let's move on to Mailbox. So Mailbox is the segment, the last segment of the show in which I respond to any questions, comments, concerns, literally anything. And you can send those in to either the email that I made for this podcast, which is pbnjargonpodcast at gmail.com, or you can send it, in, send it in to the Instagram page, which is at pbnjargonpodcast. Literally anything, and I will respond to it, because, I mean, this is the one time I get to interact with other people. Otherwise, it's just me talking to myself. And that might drive me a little bit crazy. This week, I only have one response, but that's okay because I, this is a very long episode, so we'll keep it short and concise. And the question is peanut butter or jelly? Now, this is kind of a nod to the name of the podcast, but it's also a nod to my nickname. Not really widely used, but my nickname for some time has been peanut butter because of my initials. And I mean, no pun intended, but it's stuck, especially in second grade. Actually, no, in second grade, people called me PB. They thought it was just the coolest thing ever. And then for some reason, it didn't take my friends until third grade to realize, huh, PB peanut butter. So yeah, that's interesting. So when it comes to peanut butter or jelly, I don't think that I can pick between them because they work so well together, but on their own, I'm not really that much of a peanut butter guy. That might surprise some people, but I am really not that big on peanut butter. So in this case, 
I'm going to say jelly if I have to answer that. But if I don't have to, I'm not going to answer that because they work well together. And you know what? The person that sent this in was somebody that I feel like I work well with. So I can be the peanut butter and you can be the jelly. And I feel like we'll work well together for a long time. Well, that's all I have for this episode. Make sure to tune in next week. Hopefully I will have uploaded an episode next week, but my schedule is getting a little crazy. So uh, follow at PB and Jargon Podcast on Instagram for any updates on when I will be uploading said podcast. And make sure to share it with your friends and continue listening. I really appreciate any support that I get. Really, the reason why I'm doing this podcast is to get some experience editing audio and some experience just talking. And honestly, I just love doing this. I love putting out content and I love talking just in general, but I also love um, getting support from other people too. So thank you so much for listening and take it easy.